Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark is brought to you by Shudder, the premium streaming video service from AMC Networks, with the largest, fastest-growing selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural content in the world. I'll be back after our first story tonight to tell you a little more about Shudder and a special offer for those of you in our listening audience. Until then, go ahead, lock your doors, double-check beneath your bed. You never know what might come crawling out while I've got you distracted. (laughs) Stay tuned. The show is about to begin. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 7. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing three stories for you about weird weather, unsettling letters, and not-so-imaginary friends. Or is it fiends? You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. And thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. 
So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of an author who goes by the moniker Minister of Owls, about a gentleman who finds a letter written to him from an unexpected visitor, a visitor that's far closer to him than he could ever expect. Without further ado, I present to you, I found a letter from a stalker. I found this note nailed onto a tree on my front lawn. I don't really know how to describe it. I'll just let you read it for yourself. Note start. I saw you today. It was your birthday. You didn't see me. You hardly ever do these days. Your skin looked so nice and healthy, and your eyes, they were the most beautiful I'd ever seen. You've grown so much. I remember how different you used to look. When you were younger, I remember the day I first met you. It was four years ago. I was sitting at my desk, head down, listening to the teacher rattling off names for attendance. The teacher called out a name I didn't recognize, and a stranger's voice answered behind me. Was there a new student? The teacher didn't pause for a second, just continued calling out name after name. I turned my head to where the voice had come from. I saw you, a pale thing, so thin, your eyes so red, at a seat that should have been empty. I saw the fireflies flying around you, flickering, dozens of them, never straying far from you. I saw them going through you and coming out through your skin, like you were a mist to them. Can you believe I thought you were a ghost? No one else seemed to acknowledge the new stranger sitting at the back of the class. Class after class, hour after hour passed as I waited for something to happen. For someone to notice you, for you to leave. For you to let out a ghoulish scream and claw at me like in the horror story I was certain I was in. But nothing happened. Teachers came and went. My classmates laughed and slept, and you just sat there. The bell rang for recess. The other kids ran to their mundanities for the day, leaving me and you together in the empty classroom. You stood up and pulled a chair from the desk next to you, making it face your desk. You turned your head to me and spoke. Well, you're slow today. Come on, ask me your questions. I don't know why I didn't run away screaming at that point. Probably would have turned out better for me in the long run, but let's not speculate. I guess at that point in my life I was pretty bloody lonely. I figured there was only a 50-50 chance you'd eat me, and the other 50 was that someone wanted to talk with me. Kid priorities don't make sense to me either these days. So I went along with the flow. I walked over to your desk, sat down on the chair you pulled for me, and asked my question. What were you? Told me you didn't know. You said that once you were a child, just like me, with parents and friends, you used to go to the same schools as me. Then one day, one ordinary day, when you were ten, you just woke up and you were like this covered in fireflies, and no one could remember you the moment they concentrated on anything else. No one, not even your parents. You told me of how I'd notice you every day, how I'd think of you until recess every day, how I'd come to you every day, how we would talk every day, how we would meet for the first time every day for the last three years and how I'd forget the instant I walked out of the room. How everyone would forget you, how the fireflies would make them, how, for the last three years, you'd been alone. Your story was very hard to believe, so I didn't. I asked, what reality prank show was I on? You looked, well, 
unimpressed, and asked me to continue telling my story. I was caught off guard by the non-sequitur. You said last time I was here I was telling you a story, a horror story about a haunted house. As you detailed the story, goosebumps prickled my skin. It was a story I'd been making up in my head, a story I hadn't told anyone. At that moment, a million reactions were open to me, all simultaneously adequate and inadequate. But the only thing that seemed proper was to finish the story for you. So I did. Halfway through, you interrupted me to ask if my mother had recovered from her sickness yet. I had to shake my head, a bit ashamed at the fact that I shared this private matter to a stranger. The story ended a few minutes before recess. My next class was in another room. You told me to go. Your steadiness took me back. You seemed so... accepting of your fate. Like you'd already gotten used to the idea of being forgotten forever. I was a kid back then. I wasn't a particularly smart kid, and I was probably on the onset of a crush. So you can excuse what I did next as an example of my childhood stupidity. I grabbed my scissors, pressed it against my arm's skin, and dug in. As it drew blood, I pushed it forwards till the cut formed the shape I wanted. Letter by letter, I carved your name onto my arm. Just so you know, I don't regret. Don't get me wrong. Kid Power might have made me do it, but it sure as hell didn't make the pain go away. It was one of the most painful experiences of my life. But then, and as a kid, I thought what was happening to you was unfair. I remember how your eyes looked when you saw that, the confusion. How strange it was for you that anyone would want to remember I remember that look so clearly. When I woke up the next day and saw your name on my arm, I remembered you. I didn't forget. That day, for the first time, we had a conversation that wasn't so one-sided. You said no one had ever done anything like that before and suggested I might have a mental illness. I won't deny it, that drew a little blood. As we talked, a creeping thought came into my head. Did you prefer it when I didn't remember? That night, I was sitting up on my bed, staring at your name on my arm, wondering if I should cover it up so I couldn't see it and give you back your privacy when I heard a crash. I looked up to see my bedroom window shattered and a dirty rock on my floor. I looked out the cracked window to see a dark figure on my lawn. You were outside yelling about how we should hang out, it took me a while to get used to how bad you were at talking to people. Years without practice made you quite a bit rusty. And that was all right. We had a lot of time. For the next two years, we spent most of your free time together. Most of the time we talked, you'd tell me an aspect of your life and how you lived. You still stayed in your old house... Your parents never noticed the food that had gone missing, never noticed the extra room or that you'd stolen the extra keys. One night, I confided in you that I was beginning to think you were part of my imagination, fight club style. After all, what could you do to me that I couldn't do to myself? You spent the next month or so trying to leave bite marks on my ear or neck to prove a point still have a few scars on my ears, so I guess you did. Looking back, I could see the warning signs even then. Your skin seemed to get worse and worse, paler and paler, and you rubbed your eyes raw. It was in winter when we had our wake-up call. The morning began like any other. I woke up, brushed my teeth, and started searching for clothes to wear. It was a winter morning, and my room was dark, so I didn't see your name on my arm. The cold sent shivers through my body, and I pulled out a long-sleeved jacket. A small bell rang in my head. 
Don't you usually roll up your sleeves? Yeah, and why did I? That was annoying. I finished tidying up and headed to school. On the school bus, I felt oddly tense, like something I'd been worrying about had just disappeared. I walked up to the school stairs, down the hall, through my classroom door, and sat down at my desk. The same feeling of a burden forgotten hounded my mind. What was I forgetting? When recess came, I just sat at my desk while my classmates ran out. It felt like a ritual, but I didn't know what for. I was contemplating just walking out to join them when I heard it. It was something small in the wind, like a whisper, but it came over and over, incessant. It sounded like my name. I knew this was strange, that this was worth my attention, but I felt oddly calm. Everything would be all right. Everything would be fine. Just ignore it. I sat there at my desk, my mind a war zone between two conflicting, contradictory voices, when I felt a force tugging on my sleeve. The moment I noticed this, my jacket sleeve tore open. I saw your name in my arm and then your hand that had ripped my jacket open. You'd been yelling at me for over twenty minutes. I think that was the moment we realized how on edge our friendship really was. One accident away from complete erasure. We spent most of the next year in the town library together, trying to find out what the fireflies were. It wasn't really a problem for me. Because of my mother's treatment, my family couldn't afford to go away on trips, and our house didn't have heating anymore, so I was happy to spend my time with you. Trying to find information was a puzzle in and of itself. After all, how would I read about people I couldn't remember, and how would you find out who was special, when no one could even remember enough about them to record them? We found our old family trees and records, Individually, we'd write down the name of everyone in the book on two lists, and then we would compare. The names I hadn't remembered to write down, but you had, would become the focus. They were the names who were under the curse of the Fireflies. We compiled a list of suspicious books, books we thought could help us, because they were written by, or were about, the people we were searching for. I read the books, with the list of names side by side, reading it again for every page of the book. You scour the internet on the library computers on the lookout for articles about the people. Our search would lead us to the first glimpse we got of what was really happening to you. It was late at night when you found the picture. I was a bit drowsy at the time and almost about to nod off when I heard a sharp intake of breath. I turned to see you standing up, pointing at the screen. I didn't see anything. Well, anything noteworthy. On the screen was a picture of a clearing somewhere in the woods. You held up your piece of paper where you'd marked out two names. Susie Appleby Reagan, 13. Terry Appleby Reagan, 12. Sibling. For a moment I saw the paper and the screen side by side. Side by side. And then I saw them. Two figures emerging from the woods toward the camera. They were almost humanoid, with the exception of their limbs, which stretched to nightmarish proportions. Their blank, white skin was that of a pure albino and looked more like tree bark than anything you expected to find on a mammal cloud of fireflies surrounded the duo. The shorter one looked emaciated. I could see their rib cages around which their, you know, their eyes, God, their eyes, so small, so red. And the taller one with its white hair didn't look alive anymore. They were little more than skin wrapped around the skeleton. Fireflies swarmed out of the pair's empty eye sockets. Both reached for the cameraman. I looked at the article surrounding the picture. 
It was a blog posted by a hiker. Twenty years after the last mention of the two kids. The picture was a mystery to the cameraman as well. He'd been wanting to go to the woods pictured for a while now, but he never actually remembered going there. The picture had just appeared on his camera one day out of the blue. We worked through our reading list at a much faster pace starting at that. Maybe we should have gone slower. At least every book, every website we'd left untouched, promised hope. The books that we'd finished and tossed aside promised nothing but the clearing in the woods as one's future. We tossed aside a lot of books. I believe I tore through three-fourths of my reading list before I stumbled across the journal. Oh, God. That horrible, horrible journal. The journal used to belong to a mental patient named Joey, who claimed to be a serial killer. He was locked up in an asylum when the police discovered his supposed victims never existed. He was diagnosed with a need for attention and shoved away. They should have electrocuted. They should have fried him until his flesh melted and his hair burned. In the journal, he talked about how he carried out his killings. He knew things, bizarre and disturbing things, no one else knew. He knew of strange creatures that lived in the woods. Of them, his favorites were the fireflies. I'm not going to tell you how he summoned those things. I trust you. I trust you more than anyone. But a thing like this belongs to the ground more than it will ever to the human mind. In the end, it's sufficient to know that these things were not fireflies. Joey would start his ritual by taking a kid, any kid, anyone he pleased. He could take them at any time, in the dead of night from their own homes, or in broad daylight from their front yards. It didn't matter if he was seen. He'd take them to his house and drag them inside. Usually an amber alert came up at that point. He didn't care. Like I said wouldn't matter soon. He'd drag them to a special room in his house. Here the fireflies would come and latch onto them. Now nobody was searching for the kids. Not the police, not the parents, nobody. From then on he could do whatever he wanted to the kid. He'd get bored with them after a day or two, after the child had broken. At that point he disposed of them, Hacksaw, kitchen knife, anything would work. He detailed a large pit of bodies he kept in the woods, swarming with bugs. One day, I guess he got bored of that, too. So he went right to the police station and turned himself in. Not on account of guilt. No, 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 no. He just wanted someone to know about the stuff he was doing. Sick bastard. Oh, don't get the wrong idea. He never stopped killing kids. The asylum doors didn't stop him from doing what he liked. It just made him improvise. He made a new way. He modified the flies so they could survive without a host, just in a dormant state. When a child, specified the age, would approach the swarm, it would latch on and begin its effects. Over the years, the child would warp horribly into the things we saw in the woods. I wish I could hate him in peace. I wish I could say the world owed him nothing, but that wouldn't be true. He detailed a way out. On the final page, there was an exact explanation on how to get rid of the fireflies. You must have seen something in my face, because at that moment... You asked if I had found anything. I said no and closed the book. A few minutes later, you shut down the computer. You picked up the last book and went through it yourself. When you reached the end cover, you tossed it aside. I asked, what should we do now? You said it was all right. I could go home. We'd talk about it in the morning. 
I stood up and walked past the shelves of books. I headed for the library entrance, but stopped right outside the door and waited. I waited until I heard the sniffling sounds. I sneaked back to your table, where you were sobbing quietly. You had your head in your hands. I sat back down as you raised your eyes to me. You said you wished you'd never met me. How happy you were when you had nothing to lose. How I ruined your life. You'd never really gotten better at talking to people. That was the worst love confession I'd ever heard. I remember how we kissed that night. I remember your hands gripping my hair. I remember that kiss. I wish it could have been just a kiss. I'm sorry I ruined that. When my arms were around you, I was close enough to steal a firefly without you noticing. I remember holding the firefly in my hand. I remember how it struggled, until it didn't, until it was a part of me. The fireflies shifted. They came over to me and left you. I remember the familiar look in your eyes, the confusion... I never wanted to see that confusion in your eyes again. You deserve to be loved, and you deserve to know that. I wasn't really living anyway. You reached for me, and I pulled away, as the last lights of recognition faded from your eyes. And then you were just staring at a stranger, walking away into a crowd of strangers. That was a year ago. You've gotten so much better since then. You have so many friends now, so many people at your birthday party. You also look so much healthier. I haven't been as fortunate. My skin's gotten a lot paler, and my eyes hurt all the time now. I couldn't go to school like you did all those years. I haven't wasted my time, though. I found Joey's pit. The bodies. Oh, there are so many bodies. There's a grave for those children now. Without me, my mom could afford her surgery. She looked so happy. Just yesterday, I saw her playing with my baby brother. I saw you crying yesterday. You were with your friends, laughing. For a brief moment, your eyes met mine, and then you were so wet. I think I'm going away. For good. You're not going to be happy if I stick around. I'm so happy I met you, even if you don't remember me. Note end. Sometimes I go through depressive episodes. I feel so lonely, even with my friends. I don't know what's going through my head during these times. Sometimes I end up in a bathtub, a knife in my hands, and my wrists bleeding. Until now, I thought I was cutting my wrists. I wasn't. The cuts, the, the, the letters. They've been carving a name to my arm. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed I Found a Letter from My Stalker by Minister of Owls, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got a tale for you from an anonymous author 
that will make you think twice before ever allowing yourself to become a lab rat in an experiment, no matter how good the money is or how badly you need it. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Shudder, the only video streaming service for horror fans like and I, and a special offer they've got for those of you listening in tonight. AMC Network's Shudder is a premium streaming video service, super-serving fans of all degrees with the best selection of horror and thrillers. Shudder's irrepressible and thriving community revels in all things provocative, evocative, and dangerous. From bantering with Shudder on social media and contributing fantastic irreverent reviews to relishing in member-only perks such as exclusive releases and VIP movie screenings, Shudder believes there is safety in numbers. Don't be left in the dark alone. You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for just $5.99 per month, or save yourself nearly $15 and sign up annually for only $56.99 per year. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. Think of it as the Netflix for horror. You can count on Shudder.com to keep you guessing with the unexpected. Each and every week, new edge-of-your-seat suspense, spine-tingling thrillers, and shocking horrors are added to their already formidable library. And Shudder is uncluttered, too. After signing up, you'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices, including iPhone and iPad, Apple TV, Android devices, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, and for our gamers out there, the Xbox One. So, no matter what your device of choice may be, there's no need to go without your fix of the frightening. Shudder's got your back. And best of all, Shudder's content is unparalleled in the genre, with a unique collection of exclusive and original films and series, horror classics, and blockbuster hits you'll never run out of nightmare fuel. We here at Scary Stories Told in the Dark have been signed up with Shudder for months now, and I can't believe what we're missing out on. Collections like classic slashers take me back to the glory days of suspense, And, if you're in the mood for some femme fatales, the Vengeance is Hers set will make certain you'll never underestimate a woman's penchant for mayhem again. And, of course, there are horror comedies, too, so you can enjoy a good laugh at someone else's expense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My team and I love the classics, so that alone was worth the price of admission for us. Once you add in all the vast selection of new content and their extensive exclusive library, none of which you'll find on Netflix, there's no reason to ever look anywhere else for our horror film fix. The exclusives they have, and are always adding, are absolutely incredible. The new Shudder original, A Discovery of Witches, is available now, in which brilliant historian Diana Bishop is a witch denying her own heritage. But when she unexpectedly calls up an ancient bewitched manuscript, which she finds herself thrown into the heart of a dangerous mystery and into the path of the enigmatic geneticist and vampire Matthew Claremont, you won't want to miss it. You will also enjoy Monster Party, a new Shudder exclusive centered around three young men who infiltrate a mansion dinner party secretly hosted by a group of recovering murderers for their social elite. And in Stanley's Lucky Man, another feature available only on Shudder, that asks, what if you could control luck? Would that be the greatest power you could give a man or his worst nightmare? In Lucky Man, Shudder's bold crime thriller, a brilliant but flawed cop can do just that, when he becomes the unexpected recipient of a very unusual superpower. All of this is just the tip of the blood-soaked iceberg. There's so much more lurking inside, just waiting to be discovered. 
Best of all, Shudder's always got something amazing to look forward to. On June 6th, just last month, their brand new exclusive film, Boar, went live, and you can check it now, included with your membership. And last month, two other originals, The Night Shifter and The Ranger, landed on the network. You won't want to miss any of them, and you don't have to when you sign up today. All of this, and much, much more, is available and at your fear-loving fingertips for just $5.99 a month. And this month, as a listener of my program, you can get 30 days of Shudder totally free by using promo code TOLD. That's right. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com and use promo code TOLD to let them know that Otis Gyre and Scary Stories Told in the Dark sent you. Simple as that. Once again, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com and promo code TOLD. That promo code lets the kind folks at Shudder know that Otis and the team at Scary Stories Told in the Dark sent you. Thanks so much for listening and for giving Shudder a try this month. What have you got to lose? Except for maybe some sleep. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Now that we've delivered you a fuel tank of nightmare fuel, courtesy of Shudder, allow me to rekindle the digital campfire of my own design with a frightening tale. Our second story today comes to us from an anonymous author and follows a gentleman so hard up for cash that he's willing to do anything, including participate in an unusual scientific experiment with some rather chilling side effects. <laughs> Without further ado, I present to you the Tulpa. Last year I spent six months participating in what I was told was a psychological experiment. I found an ad in my local paper looking for imaginative people looking to make good money and since it was the only ad that week that I was remotely qualified for, I gave them a call and we arranged an interview. They told me all I would have to do is stay in a room, all alone, with sensors attached to my head to read my brain activity, and while I was there I would visualize a double of myself. They called it my tulpa. Seemed easy enough and I agreed to do it as soon as they told me how much I'd be paid. And the next day, I began. They brought me to a simple room and gave me a bed, then attached sensors to my head and hooked them in a little black box on the table beside me. They talked me through the process of visualizing my double again, and explained that if I got bored or restless, instead of moving around, I should visualize my double moving around or try to interact and so on. The idea was to keep him with me the entire time I was in the room. I had trouble with it the first few days. It was more control than any sort of daydreaming I'd done before. I'd imagine my double for a few minutes, then grow distracted. But by the fourth day, I could manage to keep him present for the entire six hours. They told me I was doing very well, the second week, they gave me a different room with wall-mounted speakers. Told me they wanted to see if I could still keep the tulpa with me, in spite of distracting stimuli. The music was discordant, ugly, and unsettling, and it made the process a little more difficult, but I managed nonetheless. The next week, they played even more unsettling music, punctuated with shrieks, feedback loops, what sounded like an old-school modem dialing up, guttural noises speaking some foreign language. I just laughed it off. I was a pro by then. After about a month, I started to get bored. To liven things up, I started interacting with my doppelganger. We'd have conversations or play rock-paper-scissors, or I'd imagine him juggling or breakdancing 
whatever caught my fancy. I asked the researchers if my foolishness would adversely affect their study, but they encouraged me. So we played and communicated, and that was fun for a while. And then it got a little strange. I was telling him about my first date one day, and he corrected me. I said my date was wearing a yellow top, and he told me it was a green one. I thought about it for a second and realized he was right. It creeped me out. And after my shift that day, I talked to the researchers about it. You're using the thought form to access your subconscious, they explained. You knew on some level that you were wrong and you subconsciously corrected yourself. What had been creepy was suddenly cool. I was talking to my subconscious. It took some practice, but I found that I could question my tulpa and access all sorts of memories. I could make a quote from whole pages of books I'd read once, years before, or things I was taught and immediately forgot in high school. It was awesome. That was around the time I started calling up my double outside of the research center. Not often, at first, but... I was so used to imagining him by now that it almost seemed odd to not see him. Whenever I was bored, I'd visualize my double. Eventually, I started doing it almost all the time. It was amusing to take him along like an invisible friend. I imagined him when I was hanging out with friends or visiting my mom. I even brought him along on a date once. I didn't need to speak aloud to him, so I was able to carry out conversations with him, and no one was the wiser. I know that sounds strange, but it was fun. Not only was he a walking repository of everything I knew and everything I had forgotten, but he also seemed more in touch with me than I did at times. He had an uncanny grasp of the minutiae of body language that I didn't even realize I was picking up on. For example, I thought the date I brought along was going badly. But he pointed out how she was laughing a little too hard at my jokes and leaning towards me as I spoke, and a bunch of other subtle cues I wasn't consciously picking up on. I listened, and, well, let's just say, that date went very well. By the time I'd been at the research center for four months, he was with me constantly. The researchers approached me one day after my shift and asked me if I'd stop visualizing him. I denied it, and they seemed pleased. I silently asked my devil if he knew what prompted that, but he just shrugged it off. So die. I withdrew a little from the world at that point. I was having trouble relating to people. It seemed to me that they were so confused and unsure of themselves while I had a manifestation of myself to confer with. It made socializing awkward. Nobody else seemed aware of the reasons behind their actions, why some things made them mad and others made them laugh. They didn't know what moved them, but I did, or at least I could ask myself and get an answer. A friend fronted me one evening. He pounded at the door until I answered it, and came in fuming and swearing up a storm. "'You haven't answered when I called you in fucking weeks, you dick!' he yelled. "'What's your fucking problem?' I was about to apologize to him, and probably would have offered to hit the bars with him that night, but my tulpa grew suddenly furious. "'Hit him!' it said. And before I knew what I was doing, I had. I heard his nose break. He fell to the floor and came up swinging, and we beat each other up and down my apartment. I was more furious then than I've ever been, and I was not merciful. I knocked him to the ground and gave him two savage kicks to the ribs, and that was when he fled, hunched over and sobbing. The police were by a few minutes later, but I told them that he had been the instigator, and since he wasn't around to refute me, they'd let me off with a warning. My tulpa was grinning the entire time. 
We spent the night crowing about my victory and sneering over how badly I'd beaten my friend. It wasn't until the next morning, when I was checking out my black eye and cut lip in the mirror, that I remembered what had set me off. My double was the one who'd grown furious, not me. I'd been feeling guilty and a little ashamed, but he goaded me into a vicious fight with a concerned friend. He was present, of course, and knew my thoughts. You don't need him anymore. You don't need anyone else anymore, he told me. And I felt my skin crawl. I explained all this to the researchers who employed me, but they just laughed it off. You can't be scared of something that you're imagining, one told me. My double stood beside him and nodded his head, then smirked at me. I tried to take their words to heart, but over the next few days... I found myself growing more and more anxious around my tulpa, and it seemed that he was changing. He looked taller and more menacing. His eyes twinkled with mischief, and I saw malice in his constant smile. No job was worth losing my mind over, I decided. If he was out of control, I'd put him down. I was so used to him at that point that visualizing him was an automatic process, so I started trying my damnedest not to visualize him. It took a few days, but it started to work somewhat. I could get rid of him for hours at a time. But every time he came back, he seemed worse. His skin seemed ashen, his teeth more pointed. He hissed and gibbered and threatened and swore. The discordant music I'd been listening to for months seemed to accompany him everywhere, even when I was at home. I'd relax and slip up, no longer concentrating on not seeing him, and there he'd be, that howling noise with me. I was still visiting the research center and spending my six hours there. I needed the money, and I thought they weren't aware that I was now actively not visualizing my tulpa. I was wrong. After my shift one day, about five and a half months in, two men grabbed and restrained me, Someone in a lab coat jabbed a hypodermic needle into me. I woke up from my stupor back in the room, strapped into the bed, music blurring, with my doppelganger standing over me, cackling. He hardly looked human anymore. His features were twisted, his eyes were sunken in their sockets, and filmed over like a corpse's. He was much taller than me, but hunched over. His hands were twisted, fingernails were like Alan's. He was, in short, fucking terrifying. I tried to will him away, but I just couldn't seem to concentrate. He giggled and tapped the IV in my arm. I thrashed my restraints as best as I could, but could hardly move at all. Pumping you full of good shit, I think. How's the mind? All fuzzy? Closer and closer as he spoke. I gagged. His breath smelled like spoiled meat. I tried to focus, but couldn't banish him. The next few weeks were terrible. Every so often, someone in a doctor's coat would come in and inject me with something, or force-feed me a pill. They kept me dizzy and unfocused, and sometimes left me hallucinating or delusional. My thought form was still present, constantly mocking, he interacted with, or perhaps caused, my delusions. I hallucinated that my mother was there, scolding me, and then he cut her throat and her blood showered me. It was so real that I could taste... The doctors never spoke to me. I begged at times, screamed, hurled invectives, demanded answers. They never spoke. They may have talked to my tulpa, my personal monster. I'm not sure... I was so doped, confused, that it may have just been more delusional, but I remember them talking with him. I grew convinced that he was the real one and I was the thought form. He encouraged that line of thought at times, mocked me at others. Another thing that I pray was a delusion. Touch me. More than that, he could hurt me. He'd poke and prod at me, if he felt I wasn't paying enough attention to him. 
Once, he grabbed my testicles and squeezed until I told him I loved him. Another time, he slashed my forearm with one of his talons. I still have a scar, most days. I can convince myself that I injured myself and just hallucinated that he was responsible. Most days. Then one day, while he was telling me a story about how he was going to gut everyone I loved, starting with my sister, he paused. A curious look crossed his face and reached out and touched my head, like my mother used to when I was feverish. He stayed still for a long moment and then smiled. All thoughts are creative, he told me. Then he walked out of the door. Three hours later, I was given an injection and passed out. I awoke unrestrained. Shaking, I made my way to the door and found it unlocked. I walked out into the empty hallway and then ran. I stumbled more than once, but I made it down the stairs and out into the lot behind the building. There, I collapsed, weeping like a child. I knew I had to keep moving, but I couldn't manage it. I got home, eventually. I don't remember how. I locked the door and shoved a dresser against it, a long shower, and slept for a day and a half. Nobody came for me in the night. Nobody came the next day or the day after that. It was over. I spent a week locked in that room, but it felt like a century. I'd withdrawn so much from my life beforehand that nobody had even known I was missing. The police didn't find anything. The research center was empty when they searched it. The paper trail fell apart. The names I'd given them were aliases. Even the money I received was apparently untraceable. I recovered as much as one can. I, I don't leave the house much, and I have panic attacks when I do. I cry a lot. I don't sleep much, and my nightmares are terrible. It's over, I myself. I survived. I used the concentration those bastards taught me to convince myself. It works. Sometimes. Not today, though. Three days ago, I got a phone call from my mother. There's been a tragedy. My sister is the latest victim in a spree of killings, they say. The perpetrator mugs his victims, then guts them. The funeral was this afternoon. It was as lovely a service as it can be, I suppose. A little distracted, though. All I could hear was music coming from somewhere distant. Discordant, unsettling stuff that sounds like feedback, and shrieking and a modem dialing up. I still hear it, a little louder now. I hope you enjoyed The Tulpa by a very talented anonymous author, as performed by yours truly. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me tonight on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference. It would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012. All of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with each of us every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, 
dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, AMC Network's Shudder, for their support of this show. Don't forget, as a listener, you can get 30 days of Shudder totally free by using promo code TOLD. That's right. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com. And use promo code TOLD to let them know that Otis and the team at Scary Stories Told in the Dark sent you. Simple as that. Once again, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com and promo code TOLD. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.